It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. This morning we're going to look at the events surrounding Peter's great failure in denying Jesus three times. And um, as you look at Peter's denial, it kind of leads us to ask some important questions like, how can a believer who enjoyed the privileges Peter enjoyed, who walked so closely with Jesus for three years, who saw the miracles that Peter saw, who heard the teachings that Peter heard, who professed his commitment as strongly as he did, how can a believer like that fall into such a, a terrible sin as denying Jesus three times? Well, the answer to that question is something very important for all of us to take note of. You know, Peter's fall into this horrible sin of denial was a gradual sin, not some all-of-a-sudden sin. There were several sins in Peter's life that he didn't really deal with that kind of gradually led him to this place where all of a sudden a greater sin, the sin of denying Jesus, then was something that he uh, got himself into. And so it wasn't something that just suddenly overtook him. Uh, it was these undealt with sins that kind of built up to the point where he had this larger sin in this life. And so in the verses we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see five destructive things in Peter's life that ultimately led him to this place of denying Jesus three times. And the reality is each of us have similar destructive things that are in our lives and that lead us to greater sin and greater failure. And so we want to recognize these destructive things so hopefully we can stop them where they're at so they don't build to be something greater in our life. And my hope is that we, as we look at these destructive things in Peter's life that led him to his denial of Jesus, that we would really just examine our own lives, that we'd be looking and be honest with ourselves as to things that we might be compromising in, areas that we might be sinning in, things that we're not really dealing with the way that we should, and that we would deal with them today, that we would get right with the Lord today, that we would confess them today, ask for his help today, so that we don't allow those things to become bigger sins, and bigger issues in our life. Now, the way that John's gospel lays out the events here surrounding Peter's denial of Jesus is a little bit different uh, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke and how they do it. You know, John lays out Peter's events while at the same time looking at what Jesus is going through. And you kind of, you know, have a similar thing. You see a lot of movies do this where kind of the camera comes in and it's focused on a certain individual and what they're going through. But at the same time, someone else is going through something as well. And so you see what's happening all of a 
sudden the camera goes and then the focus is now a new scene on a different individual, but it's happening at the same time. And that's kind of what Peter is doing here. We're going to go back and forth where it's like, here's what Peter is dealing with. And then it's going to jump to, here's what Jesus is going through at the same time. And then back to, here's what Peter's doing. And then here's what Jesus is doing. And you see both of these things because they are happening at the same time. And, and John wants us to understand these events as they take place. But the interesting thing is, as we look at Peter and his failures and the things that led up to his failures, we also see Jesus dealing with something even greater than what Peter's dealing with. Jesus has, you know, the arrest, the trial that starts in his life. And as we see Jesus deal with things, we're going to see him doing the right things. And unfortunately, Peter doing the wrong things. And so as we look at these, you know, destructive things in Peter's life that we want to avoid, we're also going to see the way in which Peter should have responded. Our great example, Jesus, is going to do what is right in these different things. Now, last week we looked at the start of Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. We saw that Judas brought this large group of soldiers and officers with him, possibly even over a thousand of them, and they come to arrest Jesus. And the main thing that we focused on was the fact that Jesus was in full control of everything. And we ended last week looking at the fact that Jesus protected his disciples from the mob that was there to arrest him. And he did it in two ways. The first way that Jesus protected his disciples was by knocking down everyone who came to arrest him with just the words of his name. When he spoke, I am, everybody fell to the ground. And this was really to, to, he wasn't doing that to stop his arrest because he was willingly giving himself to be arrested. He was demonstrating his power so that those coming would listen to him. Because the next thing he does is he tells them to let his disciples go their way. He wants to protect the disciples and he demonstrates his power in such a way that these arresting him would be like, all right, yeah, if you want them to leave, that's fine. You know, don't knock us over again. And so Jesus is clearly not needing the disciples' help. He doesn't need the disciples' help to fight you know, off these soldiers. He just knocked them down with two words. He doesn't need the disciples' help to escape these soldiers. If he wanted to escape, if he wanted to fight, he was completely capable of doing that on his own. And Jesus also clearly wants the disciples away from these arresting soldiers. And that's why he tells them, let his disciples go their way. So Peter and the other disciples, they should have been fully aware. Jesus doesn't need our help right now. I mean, they just watched everyone just fall to the ground as Jesus speaks. You know, they should realize, you know what? He's got this under control, and it seems pretty clear he wants us away from this arresting mob. And so they should have known we don't need to fight. We don't need to help. Jesus has got this, and he wants us to leave. And so it's in the midst of that reality that we come to Peter's first destructive thing that leads to his denying Jesus. And so let's pick up where we left off last week, John chapter 18, verse 10, and it says this. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, I want you to try to picture this scene. Jesus has just spoken the words, I am, and everyone who was there in that garden to arrest him besides the disciples fall to the ground from the power of Jesus. And as these soldiers get back up, Jesus tells them, let my disciples go their way. Well, this was the cue for the disciples to leave. 
This was the cue for them to go. Jesus is making it really clear. I got this, guys. You leave. And right when that happens, Peter whips out his sword and goes and he cuts off the right ear of a man who was the high priest's servant, and his name was Malchus. Now, Peter attacked Malchus most likely for two main reasons. First, Peter is trying to stop Jesus from being arrested. And second, Peter's trying to prove that Jesus was wrong. Remember, Jesus says, Peter, you will deny me three times. And right before that, Peter said, hey, I'd die for you. Even if all the other disciples wouldn't die for you, I would. Peter says no. Jesus says no to Peter. You're going to die me three times. Peter wants to prove that that's not true, Jesus. I would die for you. I will fight for you. I'll chop people's ears off for you. You He's doing this to try to prove to Jesus that he will not do what Jesus said he would. But by attacking Malchus for these reasons, Peter reveals two destructive things in his life. The first destructive thing that Peter reveals through this attack is he refused to submit to and accept the plan and word of God. You see, God's plan for Jesus was very clear. It was a plan of Jesus being arrested. It was a plan of Jesus being crucified for the sins of the world. Peter's not willing to submit to that plan. He's not willing to accept the plan. He is literally fighting against that plan. He does not want Jesus to be arrested. He does not want things to move forward to Jesus' death on the cross. And that's why he pulls out his sword and cuts Malchus's ear off. Now, the plan of God for Jesus to die is something that Jesus has clearly revealed throughout his ministry. Many times he has shared this with Peter. He has shared this with the disciples. And we've seen over and over that Peter resists the reality of this plan. He does not like the plan. He does not want to see Jesus arrested, to see Jesus killed. A clear example of this is when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter's the one who answers, you're the Christ the Son of the living God. And then Jesus responds to Peter with a great thing. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so Peter's thinking real high of himself, looking around at the other disciples. Yeah, I got the answer right. He's the Christ. See what Jesus said? The Father revealed that to me. And then Jesus goes on to share about his future, about the plan of God for his life. And notice what he does. He tells the disciples and then what Peter does. We're told this in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Notice here, Jesus tells his disciples the clear plan. He doesn't mix words. He's not giving this symbolic thing. He makes it real clear. I am going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be killed by the chief priests and the elders. And guess what? Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. This was the plan of God. This is the ultimate reason why Jesus came. And so Jesus shares this plan with the disciples. And notice that Peter's response to that plan is to first go to Jesus, pull him aside, and we're told that Peter has the audacity to rebuke Jesus. And notice what he tells Jesus, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. 
Peter's telling Jesus, hey, 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 this plan that you've just said, uh-uh, that is not going to happen. That is not going to be you. You are not going to go to Jerusalem. You are not going to die from the chief priests and elders. You are not going to have this happen to you. And Jesus responds to Peter with a rebuke of his own. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Talk about emotional shifts here. Peter's thinking so high of himself, like, I gave the right answer, you're the Christ. And then right after that, he's getting called, get behind me, Satan. But notice Jesus says, you're an offense. Why? Because you're not mindful of the things of God. Peter, you're not aware of God's plan. This is the plan of God for my life, and you're trying to say no to that. You're trying to stop that. You're just focused on man's thing and not understanding God's plan. And, you know, Peter, I would imagine that was a pretty significant point in his life. I would imagine that would have stuck with him. What Jesus said was going to happen and also Jesus' rebuke of him. But this is something that Jesus has shared with Peter many times and the disciples many times. And even this night that Peter pulls his sword out and chops Malchus's ear off, if you remember, Jesus told them once again, I am going to die. I am going to give my life for the sins of the world. This is something that he has communicated that night to Peter, and yet Peter is still refusing to submit to and accept the plan and word of God. So as Jesus is there in the garden allowing himself to be arrested, Peter is fighting to try and stop it from happening. So the first destructive thing in Peter's life that ultimately leads to even a greater sin of denying Jesus is Peter refused to submit to and accept the plan and word of God. Now, just like with Peter, you and I are often tempted and often, unfortunately, do the same thing. We don't submit to, we're not willing to accept the plan and will of God in certain areas of our life. There are times we don't like what God's Word says about a particular area, a particular action, a particular thing. So instead of submitting to it and accepting the plan and Word of God, we resist it. We fight against it. And the result of that is it ultimately leads to even greater sin in our life. An example of this might be, you know, you have someone do something quite horrible to you. Something that you feel is just such a a wicked, evil, horrible thing in your life. And then you read God's Word, and He tells you you should love your enemy. He tells you you should forgive those like He forgave you. But you don't like God's plan. You don't like what His Word says for this particular person. I don't want to love this person after what they did to me. I don't want to forgive this person after what they did to me. And so instead of submitting to the plan of God, instead of submitting to the Word of God, you resist it. You fight against it. No way I'm doing that. No way I'm going to love this person and forgive this person after what they have done to me. And you know what? Instead of submitting and accepting, we reject and we fight. And it leads to more sin. Because as we choose not to love this person and forgive this person, we become bitter. We become angry. We become full of sinful thoughts and evil intentions. And the longer we go without loving, the longer we go without forgiving the worse those thoughts and the behaviors towards that person becomes. 
That's just one example of what happens when we choose to not submit ourselves to the plan and word of God. But there are so many areas in our lives, whether it be what the word of God says about your marriage, about parenting, about working, about relationships, whatever it may be. When we get to a point where we read that and we don't like what it says and we start fighting against it and resisting it. It leads to more sin, sin in your marriage, sin in parenting, sin in relationships, sin at work. You know, you don't do what God's word says and problems, many of them are a result from it. So one of the reasons Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, he wants to stop Jesus from being arrested. He wants to stop this plan and will of God for the life of Jesus. The second reason Peter is trying to, to prove to Jesus that he was brave enough not to deny him. You see, Peter didn't only not want to submit to the plan that God had for Jesus, he also didn't want to submit to what Jesus had shared with him that night. He did not want to believe and accept the reality that he would deny Jesus three times. And here's his chance. Here are the soldiers. I'm going to prove to everyone just how brave I am, just how courageous I am. I won't deny you, Jesus. And he pulls out his sword, probably going for Malchus's head, but he's a fisherman and not a trained soldier and only gets his ear. But he wants people to know, hey, look at me. I wouldn't deny Jesus. But you know what? This leads to the second destructive thing in Peter's life. And that is Peter was fighting the wrong enemy, with the wrong weapon, and trusting the wrong power. Notice that while Jesus is surrendering, Peter was busy declaring war. And Peter was trusting in the power of his flesh to do it. Now, Jesus didn't need Peter chopping people's ears off in order to deal with the situation here. He got it under control. He just knocked everyone down with just two words. He doesn't need Peter's help. He doesn't need Peter's sword. He doesn't need what Peter's doing. Actually, Peter is not making anything better. He's only making things worse. Because he's fighting the wrong enemy with the wrong weapon and trusting in the wrong power. You know, you and I are often guilty of doing what Peter did here. We often fight the wrong enemy with the wrong weapon and the wrong power. And as believers, we need to understand something very important. We are in a spiritual battle. And we need to understand who our true enemy is, what the weapons of our warfare are, and we need to understand the power that we've been given in order to be victorious in that battle. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks about this battle that we're in in verses 10 through 13. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. These verses make very clear our battle is not against flesh and blood, other people. That's often what we fight against, but we have a much bigger battle than that. Our true battle, our true enemy is against spiritual hosts of wickedness, principalities, Satan, and his demons. And we must understand the only way you're going to battle in that realm is if you use the spiritual armor, the spiritual weaponry that God has given to us and realize that in our power, we're going to get our butt kicked in that battle. In our our power, we will not win that battle. 
We must rely on the power of God that He's given us. You see, one of the things that Satan does is he tempts us with sin. He lies to us about the consequences of sin. He tries to lead us into sin. And if we don't realize who our enemy really is, and we're not fighting with the the right weapons, hoping and trusting in the proper power, we're going to fall into those temptations. We're going to be led into these sins, and it's going to cause problems in our life. Well, now John is going to reveal to us how Jesus responds to Peter chopping off Malchus's ear in verses 11 through 14. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, and they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So right after Peter chops off Malchus's ear, Jesus brings a rebuke to Peter. Tells him to put his sword in its sheath. And then Jesus asks a very important question to Peter. A question to help Peter understand why what he just did was so wrong. And the question is this, shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying, He says, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. The cup is a reference to all the suffering that Jesus is about to go through on the cross and everything leading up to the cross. And so ultimately what he is asking of Peter is, shall I not willingly suffer on the cross all that my Father has given me? Peter, this is the plan of God for me to suffer in this way, to go to the cross and to give my life for the sins of the world. Shall I not do that? Shall I not accomplish the will and plan of God for me? Because Peter, you're trying to stop that. You're trying to stop that from happening by whipping out your sword and trying to fight when I'm trying to surrender. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested because he was in full submission to the Father's plan. He accepted the plan. He knew what it was and was in full acceptance of it, even though it was difficult, even though it was going to be horrible on him. But Jesus also understood that these soldiers and religious leaders were not the real enemy that needed to be defeated. There was a much greater enemy that needed to be defeated, far worse than them, that ultimately were pulling the strings behind the scene, sin, death, and Satan. And unlike Peter, Jesus fought the right enemy with the right weapon and trusted in the right power, and the result was that he conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered Satan for you and I so that we could overcome sin, so that death would not be something that would defeat us and so that we could have a relationship with him in heaven for eternity. So Jesus allows Himself to be arrested and we're told the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound Him and they led Him away to Annas first for He was father-in-law of Caiaphas who was high priest that year. Notice here this is an interesting thing and and John doesn't get into all the details about Jesus' trial that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke do but he does bring up this reality that Annas is the first person that Jesus has brought before and this is important to note because Annas was the high priest right before Caiaphas was given the high priest role and so Annas was high priest from AD 6 to AD 15 but the important thing to note is he was removed by the Romans. 
The Jews didn't want him gone. The Romans didn't like some of the things that he did. And so they removed him and they put his son-in-law, Caiaphas, in his place. Now, the Jews felt like, hey, the Romans have no business determining who's our high priest. That is something for us to choose under God. The Romans don't get to make that choice for us. But, you know, the Romans had the power to do this. But so what happened was the religious leaders, they still looked to Annas as the true high priest, the one that they appointed and never took away. The Romans took them away. They did not look to Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the Roman high priest. Annas was the true high priest in their mind. And so if we're going to go to trial, the first person we're taking Jesus to is the one that we feel is the true high priest. Now, they need to go to Caiaphas as well, because in order to actually sentence Jesus to death, the one that the Romans accepted as high priest needed to be involved in this trial. Um, and so they go to Annas first. So something important to see here as we um, look at this trial in a moment, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. John's now going to put his focus back on Peter, and we're going to see two more destructive things in Peter's life that led to the denial of Jesus in verses 15 through 18. And Simon Peter followed, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, whom was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servant and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So we're told that after Jesus is arrested, that Peter and another disciple follow Jesus in this group that is heading to the high priest's home. Now, the other disciple is not mentioned by name, but most scholars believe that it is John. Uh, John does not mention himself by name at any point in this gospel, and some other historical things point to the fact that this definitely was most likely John. And so we're told that here Peter and most likely John are heading to the high priest's home um, with this crowd that has arrested Jesus. Um, and so... John and Jesus, we're told, they go right in. They go into the high priest's home, and, and they're, John's with him. But notice where Peter's at. We're told that Peter stood at the door outside. And as Peter stood at the door outside, we're told that John then comes, and he speaks to the servant girl whose role is just to open and lock the door. Uh, and he speaks to her and then brings Peter into the high priest's home. Now, the question is, if both Peter and John followed Jesus to the high priest's house and John was able to bring Peter into the high priest's house, why didn't they go in together? The answer is because they didn't arrive at the same time. Luke chapter 22, verse 54 tells us this. Having arrested Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. When Jesus was arrested... John was with Jesus, and John was with all the crowd that was arresting Jesus, and John and that crowd and Jesus all went into the high priest's home together. But Peter did not go in with John because he wasn't with John, and the reason he wasn't with John is told us here in Luke. It's because he followed Jesus at a distance. Peter distanced himself from Jesus, didn't want to follow Jesus too close. And I think the reason is quite clear from what we're going to see Peter do in denying Jesus 
three times. He did not want to be associated with Jesus. So the third destructive thing in Peter's life that led to his denial of Jesus is Peter followed Jesus at a distance. You know, when we were not willing to follow Jesus closely, but instead we want to follow him at a distance, it always leads to sin. It always leads to problems in our life. You know, I've been in pastoral ministry for 19 years now, and I've never met a person who just decided one day I don't want to be a Christian. But I have met many people and seen many people who have walked away from the Lord because they followed Jesus at a distance. Unfortunately, there are many people like this today. They're only willing to follow Jesus as he's, if He's not too close, if He's not too involved in their life. As long as other people don't know that they're following Jesus, they kind of want to be these incognito Christians. I'll just be a, a secret Christian. No one will really know I'm following Jesus. I'll come to church, but not very regularly. I'll give some of my time and, and resources, but, but not very much. I'll pray, but only in great emergencies when all else has failed. They want enough of Jesus to get them into heaven, but not enough of Jesus to cramp their style. Their mindset is Jesus is welcome as long as He keeps His distance and doesn't spoil their fun. You know, these are the people who ask the question, what kind of sins can I do and still be a Christian? But the question should never be about how far you can go from Jesus, but how close you can stay to Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't want people following Him at a distance. He wants people there with Him. When you distance yourself from Jesus, you rarely spend time with Him. And that's going to be a destructive thing in your life that's going to lead to more sin, lead to more problems. And we see it right here with Peter. Peter has distanced himself from Jesus, and now he finally gets to the place where Jesus is. John comes, speaks to a little servant girl. Her only job is to open and close a door. And as she, he walks past this servant girl, she asks Peter a question. She says, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Now, it seems that this servant girl knows that John is a disciple of Jesus, and that's why she says, you are not also, speaking of this other person with you, John, a disciple of Jesus, are you? Now, understand in this culture, servants were not someone that would be of an intimidating factor to, to speak the truth to, especially a servant girl whose only role is to open a door. So if Peter's going to say anything about being a follower of Jesus to anyone in this high priest, you know, courtyard and house, it should be this girl. But notice as she poses this question to Peter, this lowly servant girl, he's not willing to stand up for Jesus. He says, I am not. Speaking of, no, I am not a disciple of Jesus. So here's the first time Peter denies Jesus and you know, he's gotten to this place where he's not willing to stand up for Jesus to a little servant girl because of these other things in his life that he hasn't been dealing with. He's refused to submit to and accept the plan of God. He's been fighting the wrong enemy with the wrong weapon, trusting in the wrong power, and because he's following Jesus at a distance. Those are three things that has led to this first denial of Jesus. But there's more that's going to happen that's going to lead him to these other two <coughs> excuse me, denials of Jesus as well. Verse 18 says this. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them 
and warmed himself. So you have the high priest would have had quite a large property. You would have had his home, and then you would have the courtyard outer area. And so he's got a lot of servants, and he's got the officers. These are the people that came, and they uh, were part of arresting Jesus. These are, you know, the, the high priest kind of soldiers or police officers. And so they're all kind of out there in the courtyard, and it's getting cold. And so they build a fire, and they're standing around this fire to keep themselves warm. And notice what we're told about Peter. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. This is interesting here. Peter wasn't willing to be close to Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus at a distance. He didn't want to get too close. But now we see Peter standing with the enemies of Jesus, warming himself at the enemy's fire. So Peter wasn't willing to stand with Jesus, but he's willing to stand with Jesus' enemies. And this is what often happens when you say, you know what, I don't want to follow Jesus too closely. If you're not willing to walk with Jesus and stand with Jesus and sit with Jesus, you're going to end up walking and standing and sitting with something. And that usually is the ungodly world. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 tells us this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Notice the progression, or you should say the digression of this verse. It starts with walking with the ungodly, and then leads to standing with them, and then ends with sitting in fellowship with them. And we're seeing this unfortunate thing with Peter. He's now standing with Jesus' enemies, warming himself by the enemy's fire when he should have been standing by Jesus' side. So the fourth destructive thing in Peter's life that led to his denial of Jesus is Peter stood with and warmed himself at the enemy's fire. You know, when you're more comfortable at the enemy's fire than you are by Jesus' side, guess what? You're going to have a lot of sin problems. There are going to be things in your life that are just going to increase and get worse if you're more comfortable with the world than you are with Jesus. You're more comfortable sitting with them than you are standing and sitting with Jesus. You know, I've seen a lot of Christians who tried to find fulfillment and satisfaction by going back to the enemy's fire, going back to the things that God had delivered them from, going back to those old boyfriends or girlfriends or nightclubs or party scenes or, or addictions that they'd been delivered from, looking for fulfillment, looking for satisfaction. But what they actually just found was a lot of temptation, a lot of sin. That's what we're going to see here with Peter. As he's warming himself by the enemy's fire, that's when he's tempted again to deny Jesus two more times. But before we look at that, John takes the camera off Peter, puts it back on Jesus. So as Peter is denying Jesus, is failing Jesus, now we're going to see what is Jesus doing at the same moment there in front of Annas and this group of people. Let's see what Jesus does in verses 19 through 24. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret I've said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. 
So as Jesus now stands before Annas, who is the, the high priest that is a, the true one that the Jews kind of look to, and they bring him first as a start of a trial, Annas asks basically two things about Jesus. He wants to know about his disciples, and he wants to know about his doctrine. Now, it's important to note that the start of this trial is here, and that it's actually a six-stage, six really trials that Jesus goes through. But the biggest thing I want you to note is they're all illegal trials according to the Jewish law. In the Jewish legal process, there were many things to protect the rights of the accused. Just like in our legal system, there are many things to protect the rights of the accused. And at least 12 of those things were ignored and deliberately broken by the religious leaders during these six trials that Jesus faces in front of them. I'll share a few of them with you. According to Jewish law, a case had to be tried in the day and at the council's official meeting place in order for it to be a legal trial. Jesus took place at night and at the high priest's home. So it's not in the day, and it's not at the official place that it should have been. So right there, that's one way in which this trial was illegal. According to Jewish law, you couldn't have a trial uh, on the edge of the Sabbath or any Jewish festival. Well, this is on the edge of the eve of the greatest festival they have, Passover. So that made this trial something, once again, that was illegal according to Jewish law. According to Jewish law, if the accused was sentenced to death, there had to be given at least one more full day for the accused to have witnesses to testify on their behalf. They didn't give Jesus another day to have anybody come and testify on his behalf, and so it was illegal according to Jewish law. According to Jewish law, all evidence had to be guaranteed by two witnesses who were separately examined and could not have contact with each other. Once again, this did not happen with Jesus' trial. According to Jewish law, to bear false witness was punishable by death, But nothing was done to the many people who bore false witness against Jesus in his trial. Those are just a few, but uh, seven other laws that they broke. But, you know, hopefully you get the picture of this was an illegal trial. They were just fishing for something to ultimately bring Jesus to death. And so Jesus stands before Annas, and Annas asks about his disciples and his doctrine. And really, Annas is asking these questions because he's trying to find something to accuse Jesus of. And so basically, Annas is asking Jesus, tell us what you're guilty of and everyone is with you. You, know, you don't do that in a trial. I mean, imagine just sitting there, you know, you've got the prosecutor coming to you. All right, you now are on trial and we want you to tell us why you're guilty so that we can now sentence you. It's like, that's not how trials work, but that's ultimately what they're kind of trying to do with Jesus here. He should have had evidence already against Jesus. If they, if they had evidence, then that would give them reason to have a trial. If there's no evidence and there's no crime, why is Jesus standing here to begin with? Well, Jesus' response to Annas reveals the illegal nature of this trial. So Annas is like, oh, tell us of your doctrine. So Jesus says, I've spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I've said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. So, and he's saying, tell us about your doctrine. Jesus says, I've spoken openly. I've been out in the world. I've been in your synagogues. I've spoken at your temple where the Jews are always at. Plenty of people have heard what I have shared and in secret or in private. I haven't said anything different. So why are you asking me that? Why aren't you asking those who have listened to me? Why aren't you bringing in witnesses 
to speak of something that I have said that is wrong because that is what should have happened according to the law. Annas should have brought witnesses forth to declare this person has claimed, Jesus, that you're teaching this ungodly thing. And this person is claiming that you're teaching this other ungodly thing. And so Jesus said, I've been saying everything that I've said openly. You guys have heard it. Where are the witnesses? Why aren't you asking them? Why aren't you bringing them? Why aren't you following the law of Moses like you should? Well, there's a gentleman there who is an officer who doesn't like the way in which Jesus is bringing out the illegal nature of this trial. And so we're told one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, do you answer the high priest like that? So he doesn't like that Jesus is pointing out the fact that this is a sham. This trial is totally against the law. And so he smacks Jesus because he doesn't like that he's revealing to the high priest this reality. And Jesus doesn't miss a beat. And he comes right back at him and he says, if I've spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Once again, Jesus is bringing them back to the law that they're breaking. You were not allowed to strike someone unless they were found guilty. You weren't allowed to bring any kind of punishment against someone unless they were found guilty of a crime. Jesus hasn't been found guilty of anything. Why are you striking me? If I've said something evil to deserve being striked, well, then testify of it. Tell me what it is. If, if, I, if you guys are doing this legally, if this trial's right, if what I've just said to you isn't true, but if what I'm saying is right... If I haven't spoken evil, then why do you strike me? Because that's against the law. And so once again, Jesus is just bringing out the fact that you guys are just breaking the law in all that you're doing here with me. Lannis really doesn't have a response to this. He couldn't have really a response to this. It's a sham. And so he just takes Jesus and says, fine, send him to Caiaphas, and we'll let Caiaphas deal with it. But I want you to notice that Jesus does not fear the high priest he doesn't fear the officer that smacks him. He doesn't back down to them. Instead, he boldly tells them what they're doing is wrong. And that's one of the reasons they didn't like him. He constantly brought up the fact that they didn't follow the law the way that they claimed. That they weren't what they, you know, they, they oh, were so spiritual. No, no, you're not. And Jesus brought out their hypocrisy, brought out what they truly were, and that's one of the reasons they hated him. You see, Jesus feared God, not man. And he was a faithful witness of God even among this hostile group. But unfortunately, that's not what we're going to see with Peter. It's quite a contrast. As Peter's being, as Jesus is being smacked, he still speaks the truth. He doesn't back down. He's bold because his fear is of God and not of these people. But Peter, unfortunately, he struggles. And so once again, John's going to take the camera off Jesus, bring it now on Peter, who's outside in the courtyard, warming himself by the enemy's fire. And we're going to see the fifth and final destructive thing in Peter's life that lead to his three denials of Jesus. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. As Jesus is boldly speaking against those who are seeking to kill him, Peter's outside warming himself next to the enemies of Jesus. And this placed Peter in a situation where now he is tempted to once again deny Jesus. He's asked twice if he's a disciple of Jesus. 
First Peter is asked basically the same question that the servant girl, the door, asked him. You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And then the next question was by someone who would have been more aware of the fact that Peter actually was, because we're told he's a relative of Malchus, who had his ear chopped off. I'm sure he's very aware of what happened. He was in the garden. He's like, wait a second. You're the guy who chopped my relative's ear off. You chopped off Malchus' ear. You're him, aren't you? And to both of these things, Peter denies it. Matthew's gospel tells us when he's challenged by this relative of, Math, uh, of Malchus, he actually starts swearing, you know, to make it even more like, you know, I'm definitely not a disciple of Jesus. You can believe that. And then we're told a rooster crows. And that's significant because remember, Jesus told him in the upper room, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. I won't deny you. If all these people will you know, abandon you, I will die for you, Jesus. And right after that third denial, he hears that rooster crow, and I'm sure the words of Jesus and what he said come to his mind. But you know, the fifth and final destructive thing that ultimately led to this denial in Peter is Peter feared more about what people thought about him than what God thought about him. You know, when you're more concerned, you're more fearful of what people in this world think about you than what God thinks about you, when you're more fearful about what they're going to say about your relationship with Jesus than what God thinks about your relationship with Jesus, you're going to have problems. You're going to have sin issues that grow and increase in your life because you're going to be swayed by the world. You're going to you know, want to appease the world and be approved of by the world and not really care about what God thinks. You know, the Bible tells us the fear of man brings a snare. It trips you up. It leads you to sin. But the Bible also tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, who do we truly fear? If you fear God more than people, you're going to be in a great place. It's going to lead to growth. It's going to lead to overcoming temptation and sin. But when you fear people more than you fear God, it's going to lead to more sin. Because people ultimately in this world, they want you to sin. They want you to engage in the things that they're engaging in. They're going to tempt you in that. They're going to encourage you in that. And if you're more concerned about what they think about you and how you live your life and what you believe, you're going to start to become like them, and that's not going to be a good thing for you. But if you're fearful of God and say, you know what, I don't care what you think, I care what He thinks. And He says this, and I know it goes against what you say, but I'm going to stick with Him, and I'm fearful of Him and I'm going to do what He tells me to do, that's going to be the thing that helps you overcome the sin in your life. So here we see Peter denying Jesus three times. But ultimately, what brought Peter to this place were these five destructive things that he just didn't deal with. And they just got bigger and bigger to this place where he didn't think he'd ever be there. I think he was sincere in the upper room when he was just like, I will never deny you. You know, if all these guys abandon you, I'll die for you, Jesus. I don't think he was, you know, lying in the sense that he, he thought that was going to be him. But he had these things that he didn't deal with, which led to this great sin in his life. This gradual process started with refusing to submit to and accept the plan and word of God. That happened early on in the ministry with Jesus. It had been years of him not willing to submit to uh, the plan and word of God. And things get worse when he starts fighting the wrong enemy with the wrong weapons and trusting in the wrong power. They continue to get worse as he follows Jesus at a distance. Instead of standing with Jesus, he warms himself at the enemy's fire. He feared more about what people thought about him than what God thought about him. And it leads to these three denials of Jesus. 
But you know what? I just want us, as we look at this, to understand each one of us are susceptible to these five destructive things that Peter struggled with. You know, sometimes we look at Peter, oh, how could you? But you know what? If we're just real, it's like, man, we're susceptible to that. I'm sure all of us are guilty of at least one of the things that Peter has done. Many of us are guilty of all five. We're susceptible to refusing to submit to and accept the plan and word of God in our life. We're susceptible to fighting the wrong enemy with the wrong weapon, trusting in the wrong power. We're susceptible to following Jesus at a distance, susceptible to standing with and warming ourselves at the enemy's fire. And we're susceptible to fearing more about what people think of us and what God thinks of us. Yeah, we're a lot like Peter. So we need to look at Peter, look at these destructive things, and examine our own life and recognize, hey, if we don't deal with these things, we're going to have an even greater sin. We're going to have an even greater problem. These little compromises, you think, oh, that's not that big a deal. Well, it's going to get big. It's going to be a problem. It's going to lead to something far worse than what you have now. You know, I've seen several pastors commit adultery. And it was never like, oh, just boom, it just came. They just did it. There was these compromises in pornography, compromises in different things that led to this bigger sin that happened. And it's almost always that way. We don't deal with the little compromises. They will grow to become something far worse. So I want to close with just a few minutes to be quiet before the Lord. If there are sins and compromises in your life right now that you haven't confessed to the Lord, that you haven't dealt with, that you haven't asked His forgiveness for, and also that you haven't asked for Him to help you overcome. I just want to close, just taking a time, let's just be quiet, just you and God. If there's stuff that you need to deal with, you need to address, I don't want you to leave here today without doing that. I don't want you to hear this and be like, yeah, you know, there's these things, and you just never deal with them. You never address them. You never come to the Lord with them. And so I just want to encourage you, let's just be quiet for a few minutes. If that's you and there's something that you need to address, I encourage you to do that right now, and then I'll close this in prayer. So let's just get... Real before the Lord. He already knows what's going on. Repent if needed and ask for His help because He wants to help you and restore you. That's the wonderful thing as we continue through John's Gospel. We're going to see that He restores Peter. Uh, he can restore you as well. Let's pray.